This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. I'm Naomi Shaven, filling in for Dan. Today is Tuesday, May 18th. Staffing shortages are up, Darkside, the hacking group, is shutting down, and we're focused on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Let's start with the history. Israel was founded as a sovereign Jewish state in 1948, following the near decimation of the global Jewish population during World War II. Its founding immediately caused a massive displacement of Palestinians. Prior to that, both Jews and Palestinians coexisted in the territory for hundreds of years. In the decades since, territory disputes have led to borders shifting back and forth, political leaders have cycled in and out, and the conflict has only become more entrenched. Today, there are two populations with profound religious, ethnic, and geographical ties to one place, a place largely controlled by Israel at the great expense of Palestinian freedoms and basic necessities. The Gaza Strip, which is home to two million Palestinians, is technically ruled by Hamas, which has been declared a terrorist organization by much of the Western world, and which rejects Israel's right to exist. This is an extraordinarily complex issue, and in the last month, it's taken a tragic and violent turn, resulting in the deaths of 227 people, stemming from an attempt by Israel earlier this month to evict six Palestinian families from their homes in East Jerusalem. Images out of the region show an imbalance in military might, depicting Israel's Iron Dome defense system neutralizing rockets launched by Hamas, while Israel's retaliation against Hamas has led to more than 200 of those civilian deaths, including 61 Palestinian children. International condemnation of Israeli missile strikes into Palestinian territory has been swift. President Biden pushed for a ceasefire in a phone call with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu Monday evening. On social media, outcries against Israel's treatment of Palestinians have revealed communities and generations divided, perhaps none more so than the American Jewish community, which has historically been a major pillar of support for Israel. For full disclosure, I've seen this firsthand because I'm an American Jew. Today, we'll go deeper into the context of the current strife, the political motivations of Prime Minister Netanyahu, and whether Israel's actions this month could change the political landscape there and in the U.S. in the long term. In 15 seconds, we'll be joined by Barack Ravid, the author of Axios Tel Aviv, who is covering all of this on the ground. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We're joined now by Barak Ravid, my colleague in Tel Aviv who writes Axios Tel Aviv. Barak, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Naomi. Have we seen an escalation like this before under the current leadership on both sides? 
If you go back almost 15 years ago, I think this is the third or even fourth war Israel had with Hamas in Gaza since Israel pulled out of Gaza in 2005. Every few years, you have a war in Gaza. In addition, you have occasional flare-ups, but every time it's a bit different. But there were at least, in the last 15 years, at least 10 major conflicts in Gaza that were between two or three days of a flare-up to the 50 days war in 2014. Obviously, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu is at the center of this. Could you explain how this fits into his leadership priorities? When it came to Gaza, Netanyahu's main policy was to divide Gaza and the West Bank in order to prevent any discussion about the possibility of a two-state solution, because then Israel could always say, look, Hamas is in control of Gaza. Abbas, the head of the, the president of the Palestinian Authority, is not in control of Gaza. So how can we really negotiate with him and get a deal if he's not in control of half of his alleged country? Under this policy, Israel, over the years, weakened the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, which is, I'm not, the relations with the Palestinian Authority are not good, and it's not like we live in peace with them, but they're not attacking us with missiles, but so we weakened them. And on the other hand, we strengthened Hamas, that fires missiles at us for years. And the whole reason for it was that on the one hand, Israel didn't want to go into Gaza and, and, you know, reoccupy the Gaza Strip and control again 2 million Palestinians. On the other hand, it still wanted to divide Gaza and the West Bank. When you look at all of that, you reach a policy that is just unsustainable. Do you think that any aspect of this crisis is at least partially manufactured or escalated to consolidate power in Israel? So there are two options. It's either it was a, a total incompetence and irresponsible behavior by the police and the Minister for Internal Security, who's a Netanyahu crony, that exacerbated tensions in Jerusalem, in the Temple Mount, in the old city, in Sheikh Jarrah. So it's either total incompetence or it's a conspiracy that meant to raise tensions in Jerusalem in order to prevent or to create a situation where it will be harder for Netanyahu's opponents to form a coalition, and it got out of control and led to a conflict uh, in Gaza because Hamas decided to take advantage of the situation. Both cases are very bad. When you look at the last 12 years that Netanyahu is the prime minister, he basically did nothing to try and solve the situation uh, in Gaza. You know, I'm not even saying getting a peace deal with the Palestinians, it was just preventing an escalation. All that he did was to weaken the Palestinian Authority and strengthen Hamas all over the all all, all over those la the last twelve years. Even if this latest crisis was caused because Hamas decided to take advantage of a situation, the fact that they are able to do it is at least in big part Netanyahu's responsibility. I'm curious what it's like in Israel right now if there is a sort of national solidarity because of what's happening, or if there are a lot of protests, a lot of speaking out against Netanyahu's policies on this? Well, first, we need to also remind our listeners that Netanyahu is 
pending trial for three cases of serious corruption. And everything he does should be looked at through the prism of him trying to get himself out of jail. And we had four election campaigns where Netanyahu could not master a majority to form a right-wing government. And the reason for it is that because the majority of voters didn't want him to be prime minister. And the fact that he's managing to cling on to power is just because our political system is not a political system of the winner takes it all, but more a system of you need to form uh, coalitions. And what happened in recent weeks is that in addition to the crisis in Jerusalem, in addition to the crisis in Gaza, we also had a unprecedented flare-up in relations between Jews and Arabs, citizens of Israel, with intercommunal violence that we haven't seen since October 2000, when 13 Arab-Israeli citizens were killed by police. It took a long time to repair this rift of those 13 Arab-Israelis who were killed. So it took us 20 years to repair this rift, and now we're at it again. And the intercommunal violence, which was very, very serious, created a situation, whether Netanyahu planned it, there are are some people who think it is all planned, or whether it just happened like that. In any case, this led to the fact that an alternative government with the Arab parties became impossible. In the U.S., it seems like this has just taken over social media feeds. A lot of people have gotten involved in online activism. What is it like on social media in Israel right now? It's hell. It's hell. We are in a very toxic environment on social media in Israel where people who speak up in a critical way against the government or in a way that, for example, says that there was both violence from Arab Israelis but also violence from Jewish Israelis, if you write something like that, you get a sewage of angry, uh, threatening, violent comments. Reporters are threatened on a daily basis, including myself, with threatening uh, messages on WhatsApp, on Telegram, on our social media platforms. Channel uh, 12, which is the biggest TV channel in Israel, had to get bodyguards. Two journalists were beaten up by radical right-wing activists when they went to cover the intercommunal violence. It is very hard today to say the slightest thing that is critical of the war in Gaza or that is to express some sort of empathy towards people in Gaza or to say something about the need for equality in in Israel between Jews and Arabs, the amount of racism, violence, threats is scary. Again, I'm not telling you something that uh, you'd not witness yourself in America. It's more or less the same. I've seen a lot of internal debates in the American Jewish community about this issue, but I don't think I've ever seen these debates get as divisive as they are right now, especially on social media, like you're saying. Do you think that we're at a breaking point with the current conflict and the way that it's being understood in America 
that could really change how American Jews and Israeli Jews align on issues? There's a big gap between the way that the majority of Jews in Israel sees the situation and how the majority of Jews in America see the situation. I don't think there is any way right now for both sides to understand each other. American Jews and Israeli Jews are drifting apart, further apart. We just heard a week ago, Ron Dermer, who was the Israeli ambassador in Washington until four months ago, saying that Israel should put more effort in its relations with the evangelical community in America than with the Jewish community in America, because the Jewish community in America is very critical of the government policy. As long as, as the current government continues here, th this rift will only get uh, wider and wider. Is that applying pressure on Netanyahu, the potential loss of what was for decades a stronghold of support for Israel? No, he, he doesn't care. Do you think regular Israelis do? No. The average Israeli doesn't spend one second thinking about what Jews in America think. The whole worldview of the majority of Jews in Israel and the worldview of Jews in America is just so different. And uh, in Israel, we are becoming a more religious, conservative, right-wing society. And in America, the Jews become more liberal, more secular, and more left-wing. And th that's the trend on both sides. And it's not, it's not going to change. Historically, obviously, the American Jewish community has been a huge pillar of financial support, political lobbying, support of all kinds for Israel. And I'm curious, do you think that this riff could present an existential problem for Israel down the road, at least Israel as we know it now? You have... Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the most powerful Jewish politician in America. And he's a staunch supporter of Israel for years, for decades. He did not say one word to support the Israeli operation until yesterday. So for eight days, he was mostly silent. When he spoke, he basically said that he wants to see a ceasefire as soon as possible. If this is Chuck Schumer, then now just look at everybody else. Because there's nobody more pro-Israel in Congress than Chuck Schumer. So if this is how he sees the situation, it tells you everything you need to know. Obviously, Chuck Schumer called for the ceasefire. Biden also called Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday and pressured for a ceasefire. Where do you think things go from here? I think we're very close to its end. 24, 48 hours will be in a ceasefire. The bottom line of what Biden told Netanyahu yesterday was, we supported you until now, we still support you, we acknowledge your right for self-defense, we condemn the rockets, but we are under huge pressure internationally, under huge pressure domestically, and it's becoming harder and harder for us to fend off those pressures. So you better get going and push ahead towards a ceasefire. Barak Ravid joining us from Tel Aviv. He writes the Axios Tel Aviv newsletter. Barak, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. We're keeping an eye on another international story. 
doctors in Japan are pushing to cancel the already very delayed Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games due to a surge of coronavirus cases in the country. There's concern that the games could lead to even more transmission and overwhelm their healthcare system. The Tokyo Medical Practitioners Association is the latest group to call for the cancellation and represents around 6,000 doctors. But other health professionals had already begun to sound the alarm over the situation. A reminder, Japan was an early leader in pandemic management, keeping cases down throughout 2020 compared to many other countries. But according to Reuters, its vaccine rollout has only reached about 3.5% of its population, and the rollout has been marred by technical glitches. And Japan is running out of time. The Olympic Games are currently scheduled to begin July 23rd, just over two months away. And we're done. Big thanks for listening and to producers Sabina Singani, Justin Kaufman, and Ben O'Brien. Have a great national Visit Your Relatives Day. It's really nice to be able to say that. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.